we've yes, we've made it through the winter. Right, we're going in the and we right are direction. Here. Yes, <laughs> we are going the in uptick. the right direction. Summer's rather. Cool. I, I will say, like, I don't love giving up the hoodie. Mm, the hoodie is really? like, yeah, it's like my comfort clothes. Uh, clo- clo- cloth, clo- cloth. <laughs> that feels weird. It's not cloth. My comfort clothing. Maybe? Clothing, like that still doesn't feel right, but. It's, it's your not comfort, comfort food. It's, it's that hood. I wanted to say comfort You like that food. hood. Comfort but clothes. the hoodie is like, I don't know. It's like, the I don't know. It's like Is it because it's like a turtle? You can just kind of put I, it on. Yeah, and I don't know what it is. I just yeah. like it. It is comfy. So I like, yeah. I don't like giving up the hoodie, yeah. but I'll take it for I'm very summer. quick to shed it. Like, I, I love the hoodie, <laughs> but I am But there's dirty. no love lost there. Yeah, exactly. I'll see you in a couple months. It'll be okay. This is Calvary. We are back after a quick break after Easter and Easter Tide to kind of regroup, and we're back with another season. This season, we are focusing on the work of the Spirit, enabling us to do good work in, in whatever our vocation is. So, this season entitled Good Work. My name is Caroline Whitman, and I'm here with Pastor Johnny with Wisa Alushuga. How are we doing today? Pretty good. Uh, yeah, we're doing well. <laughs> Lisa, how are you? Good. Yeah, so we are, I mean, where we're at in the actual liturgical calendar, we're just, what, a week and a half away from Pentecost Sunday. And I think, hopefully some of you had the opportunity, if you haven't, as you're listening to this, and you are mostly just interested in hearing Luisa, that's understandable. But if you'd be willing <laughs> to go back one more episode and listen to the conversation that Caroline and Ray and I had are just about, you know, just key things about the spirit that really like changed our understanding of who God is. I think that'd be a helpful conversation as we think about it. So the goal of these conversations um, is that to do what to do during Pentecost. And Pentecost is obviously the season where we really focus on and celebrate um just kind of the Spirit's work in the world through the church. And it's easy to kind of identify the Spirit's work in a worship service that's run by staff, and, and, and we can kind of focus on that. Or like missionaries. Or missionaries. Yeah. or Yeah, and, and the reality is 99.5% of what God is doing in the world is through people doing their jobs and vocations who are not in ministry, you know, full-time church ministry or missions work. And so we as a staff had talked about how much we just value the way God has made people in our congregation and by the Spirit empowering them to do their everyday jobs. And so the idea was, how about during the season of Pentecost, as we're thinking about the work of the Spirit in the world, how about we just find out what people do for jobs? Like, what do you do for vocations? How do you spend your Monday through Friday or Saturday? Um, And... um, so that's what we're doing. So we've invited a, a few people. We've got commitments from what the Moors, mm-hmm. Monica and Craig Moore. At least yes, they we, do now. You committed, guys. Yeah. I think we had. I think you were thinking about it, but now you're committed. I mean, I dare you to decline us now. <laughs> we also have, I believe, commitments from which now I'm like, this is like your small group. 
I was not even thinking that. Because <laughs> we've got uh, commitments at, from Marshall, Marshall Berkey, Berkey also. So, um, anyways, so excited to hear. Uh, and we have a few more where we've reached out to and waiting to hear back from. Um, but today, um, we are with Louisa again, and we just want to hear a little bit about you and and what you do in your kind of Monday through Friday or Saturday, depending on your work schedule. Um, but first, um, kind of where, what's your network of people? And I guess we just named them, but like <laughs> how long, you've, what brought you to Calvary? What's your kind of network of people at Calvary? How might people know you? How might people yeah. know you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess what brought me to Calvary, um, we were attending a new life community church in the city. Uh, when I was attending, when I was at med school at UIC, uh, I lived in the Tri-Taylor area. Yeah. So we were at that location. Um, and just when I got pregnant with my youngest, Naomi, um, and she's now six. So for some reason I'm blanking on what year that was that she was born. But whatever, when she was born. <laughs> um, new life was changing locations. We were moving to Oak Park. We knew that if we were going to be consistent with church, with a toddler and a newborn, it needed to be something that was much more convenient. In so, the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we kind of just toured hmm. a few of the churches in Oak Park. So you um, said this is about six years ago? This is about six years ago. So yeah, so Naomi was born 2014, yeah, because she'll be seven in yeah, October. Wow. Okay. Now you're quizzing me on if I know how <laughs> old my kids are on their birthdays. Um, they're alive and well. Exactly. They're doing yeah, very well. They're very healthy. <laughs> So yeah, so that's when we started attending Calvary. Um, oh, it was cool. just in search of something that was more accessible, more convenient. Um, yeah. And we've been here since that time. And so I guess uh, uh, when I initially came to Calvary, you know, I, I had Naomi and then I had some time off. It was right after I'd finished med school when I had Naomi. And um, so I got involved in the women's um, like Bible study. I yes. think it's like Tuesday mornings. Tuesday maybe. mornings, yes. Um, so that was my first engagement with like getting to know people at Calvary. Um, nice. and so, you know, um, then since then, you know, now, you know, I've got a small group that we've been together for a few years now. Yeah. A number of years. Years. I, I, I'm yeah. not good at years in <laughs> timelines. So that's going to become evident. Um, and who's all in your small and group? So that's the Moors, the Moors, um, the Berkeys, uh, the Floyds. And the Vanderlands. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They did just join like in the last exactly, year. Exactly, in the last oh, year. Oh, that's awesome. So we've got a great, uh, a great crew. And I would say that's kind of who, that's who we've been connected with really throughout, that's um, awesome. throughout COVID. Yeah. And then this year was, you know, during this whole pandemic was the first time that I re-engaged with women's Bible study since, you know, 2014 or whenever, when I was on maternity leave. Um, and so in that group is Carolyn Lundgren and Jody Rieger, oh, Debbie nice. Berkey, yeah. um, Brenda, why am I blanking on Brenda's last name? Watkins? No. Watkins? Brenda? I don't know, Brenda. I'm sorry. I don't remember your last name. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, also Ellen. So, you know, they're, you know, a group of us and a group of women that I've also gotten to know over this past year who I otherwise knew of. Uh, and so that's been really, really great. So I'd say that's more or less, you know, kind of socially. Um, and then I think there are a lot of people, which I'm sure we'll get to this, that I've also been connected with in Calvary that I know just because of what I do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are people who may know of me and I'm not 
you know, I wouldn't know who you were if I saw you, but you know, we've yeah. spoken on the phone or texted or had emails or whatever. So. And how old your your oldest? Um, so you have Naomi who's six, and yes, Naomi's six, and um, Eliza's nine. Yeah, and so they'll both be their birthdays at the end, fall birthdays. Yeah, Sweet. so yeah, I feel like they're. It's going so fast. It's even bizarre to say that they're six and nine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like they were just like I was just pregnant in like three. Um, so so yeah. So those are my those are my two. And you have one on the yes. Is that okay to announce? Wait. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay, it's okay. news. I was just actually just before we started yeah. this, I was saying how I'm really bad at doing pregnancy announcement things, and so consider in this times, the this announcement, like the announcement. <laughs> public announcement. <laughs> and you just told us it was a boy. Okay. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Johnny made that up. <laughs> Luis's mom, if you're listening, she did not tell us that. That is not true information. There is I now am a totally celebration joking. happening across the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> at news of a boy arriving. No, we have no idea what we're having. Um, that we've always done the surprise, you know, when the baby comes and we know. Uh, so we're we're expecting and we're due at the end of September. Mm. Yeah. Cool. That's exciting. It is That's exciting. That's awesome. And is Mike exciting. is, your husband, is an uh, Arsenal fan. He's an Arsenal fan. So that matters to me. <laughs> that does matter to you. <laughs> that and matters I was to me. Saying, that's sort of like the beginning and end of all I know. <laughs> yeah. Something, something, Europa League, something, something, yeah. not in the league. Yeah, you know. yeah it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a tough couple of years for Arsenal. Uh, yeah, so um, Mike, uh, we actually just celebrated our, our 10th anniversary this year oh, in March. Right. Um, yeah, he's a software developer. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. So by vocation, we were just like totally different <laughs> in, in what we do and how we do things. So, um, that's so yeah, cool. so that's our little, yeah. our little world. Cool. Well, thanks for, for that. I'm going to ask the f- first question and then Caroline and I will just kind of, I, I've told people with our stories of Calvary, you're like our empty canvas that we're going to start painting. You yeah. know? Johnny likes so, to psychoanalyze. <laughs> yes, like, I, they oh, do. We need a, well, I mean, I can't <laughs> with Louisa. I was going to say, it's not going to work with her. She's going to see it coming. Because, um, punchline, you are a psychiatrist. <laughs> and I'm, uh, yeah, at best amateur. So um, first thing I want to ask, Louisa, before we get into like what you do as a voc- for vocational work, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I, you know, I, I, I imagine a lot of people have this. Like you sort of have like distinct memories of, of moments when you were younger. And it's like unclear if I lived through that or I, someone told me the story and so I filled it in, yes. right? Um, but I do have this distinct memory. I had to be maybe six or seven where I kind of walked out and I proclaimed that I was going to be a neurosurgeon. And I, oh, and wow. I really don't think wow. I knew what that meant, right? <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to, and I think I probably said brain surgeon. So I'm going to uh, be a brain surgeon. Um, I don't know what, hmm. why I said that, but I felt like my, my parents were just like, that's amazing. And, and so I just, I just wrote it out. <laughs> it was like, I was going to be a brain surgeon and that is just what I stuck to for a very, very long time. Um, so I think from an early age, it was medicine, you know? Um, okay. but certainly not in the way that I thought it was. And, and I honestly just think it was a kind of a random thing. Like I can't even think of something <laughs> that inspired me or that I heard something or I just heard the word or. I don't know, it's just my dad get excited, and I was like, oh, that sounds like a thing, you know, and so I just, I just <laughs> went with it. Um, so brain surgeon was a thing that I really, really stuck to until you got of age when people were like, okay, no, for real, like, what are you going to... This gonna- is what it's going to take to be a <laughs> <Exactly. neurosurgeon. laughs> I, I feel pretty calm. I'm going to, like, make a prediction, 
that as I continue to ask that question to other people, I won't get that response again. <laughs> like, what did you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Like, I'm, I feel not. safe. Like, this will be the last Wait, time. Wait, can we pause? What was your answer to that question? Mine? Yeah. Oh, a lawyer, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay. I Did you have lawyers in the family? Believe No, but no. believe it or not, I liked to argue. <laughs> And I what? thought, I what? thought my ideas were like pretty good. And so I felt like I could, I remember specifically telling someone like, I want to be a lawyer. And, uh, and it was, it was a wife whose husband was a lawyer and she was like, maybe you don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> She's like, there's a lot, it's long hours and it's, it's tedious. And so, but yeah, that's like the one thing I, and that wasn't like super young. I don't even, I mean, when I was super young, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Um, but like realistically, I remember I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm, that's that's so funny. funny. That's good. But not a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Yeah. How did that evolve as you got older? Uh, so at some point I looked up what a brain and surgeon like, was, right? And I was like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. That's um, pretty involved. Exactly. Pretty involved. I was like, I don't even, I don't even think I'm that but you stuck with the brain. I did stick with the brain, but that also was very much by accident because when I was, you know, at the point that. It's sort of like that high school, college age when you're really thinking, okay, for real, mm-hmm. what am I wanting to do? I think med school was in sight, partially because that's really all I had ever kind of thought about. Um, but I was going to medical school specifically to work with adolescents. Mm-hmm. I, I had it in my head that you know I wanted to work with teenagers. Um, oh, wow. I wanted to work with teenage girls in, in particular. And so I thought that I'd either go by way of OB-GYN and, you know, cause I, I knew, I grew up in Jersey city and I think like the big things when I was growing up was like, don't get caught in drugs, don't get pregnant in high school. Right. Like the, this was like, the, those are the things that it was just like, don't come back in this house. If you know, you've got this or that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and you know, because of where we grew That's up so and just, true. <laughs> how old are you again? Uh, 34. I'm 39. So yeah, that, that, those are the morals of the day. It really was. Yeah, that's actually really interesting, yeah. Um, and, I mean, it was very much like, you know, don't screw this up, right? Yeah. Like, don't screw this family, don't screw up your life, you know? And so um, those are the things that really stuck out. But because of where I lived, the community I grew up in, I had friends who had gotten pregnant in high school, gotten pregnant early. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly friends who, or people that we knew that got caught up in drugs and things. And so... I felt really impacted, especially sort of doing life around and near young girls who had gotten pregnant and were wow. having kids and um, were even either trying to navigate the rest of school or leaving wow. school. And so yeah, when I really was like for real thinking about it, I was like, well, I want to go and I want to be a physician to be able to help this group of people. Like that, that's what was in my mind. So it, I was either going to do that by being an OB you know, by way of OB and, and focusing on adolescence. Um, or I was going to do that via pediatrics, you know, and do teenagers and adolescents, or I was going to do it by family medicine. So those are the things that, you know, when I said I'm going to medical school, like that was, that was where I was going. Yeah, wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and so I started medical school, and, and I mean, everything I did was in that sort of vein, you know, um, like the, our first year after medical school is the only summer traditionally that you have off, that, that you have uh, some space. And, you know, during that summer, I spent a lot of time at the School of Public Health over at UIC working in 
and a project for juvenile justice, you know, and HIV education and things. And so, you know, I basically, that was just what I was going to do. Right. Um, and then third year of medical school came and pediatrics was my first rotation. Um, and, and I think it was colored by a few things. One, I had just had Eliza, uh, not, not actually I, I had Eliza like some months before. Um, but in preparing for that year, there was a lot of like time away from her, you know, preparing for our first like big national exams. Um, you know, starting pediatrics, I was just very stressed. And so the one thing happened, which was like, I, I failed the first go around of my boards, like the, mm. our first steps, um, which is like the first major test that's supposed to tell you where you're going to end up. Um, but then I got in pediatrics and I just kind of hated it. Mm. Like I, and, and, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, did I hate it because of everything that was going on around me or did I really just not enjoy it? But I really don't think I actually enjoyed it because I think the piece of working with my patients, the kids that I enjoyed was a bit colored because a lot of it was also working with the parents. You know, there were just a lot of limitations and barriers to doing the things that I maybe wanted to do. And I don't know, I just, it just wasn't a thing that I enjoyed. Like I remember just being very miserable in my pediatric rotation. Um, and something similar happened on OB where uh, OB became very clearly a surgical field, a surgical specialty. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it wasn't really something that, like I wasn't really a interventional surgical kind of people. Like I, I knew a lot of colleagues and, and peers who loved working with their hands and getting in the OR and that just, I just didn't enjoy it, you know? I felt like the part that I liked was like holding the baby and you know, that just kind of happened and then we moved on to like the stitching and the whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it just was, everything just started to become more real than whatever my fantasy of what it was. Um, and it was interesting because throughout that time, people had suggested even prior to medical school, like, hey, you know, Lisa, knowing that the things that you're interested in, you know, be it advocacy work or working mm. with communities, sitting down with people and talking with people, um, they'd say things like, you know, have you considered going to get your master's in psychology? And I'm like, no, no I'm going to go to medical school. And when I got to medical school, they're like, hey, have you considered psychiatry? And I'm like, I did not come all the way to medical school to just be a psychiatrist. I mean, that was really what my mindset was. Like, psychiatry just... It was, it was such a no-go for me because mm. it's, it felt like, I mean, I think I was caught in that same um, stereotypical way of thinking of like, you know, well, they're doctors, you know, like they're real doctors. And then there's like the psychiatrist, you know, who mm. sort of like, you know, got in there some kind of way and earned a stripe just because they went through medical school. And I just couldn't bring myself to mm. even consider it as a possibility. But then these doors throughout my third year of medical school just kept shutting, right? It was like, but I'm miserable in pediatrics. I'm miserable in OB. You know, my family medicine rotation wasn't bad, but I just felt like I couldn't see myself doing this forever. Um, I more or less rounded out my rotations third year with psychiatry, which really wasn't by my design. It just sort of happened that way. Um, and I was dreading it because I was like, I mean, at that point I was like, well, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. I came to medical school and I'm now like two and a half years in the hole of debt and there's no medical specialty that I'm interested in. Like, what am I going to do? I can't like leaving seems like impossible, you know, and continuing seems like torture. Um, and then psychiatry. And I was like, and now I have to go in this psychiatry rotation that clearly is going to be the worst. Um, and I was doing it over at Jesse Brown VA, which sort of, Made, made it feel worse because like oh no it's just gonna be like 
old men and it's not gonna be interesting. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be no adolescent kids, you know, like it just seems so far from everything. Um, but you know, you have no choice, right? Like you have to do your rotations. And then I got on my psychiatry rotation and it was literally the only place that I felt like, Oh wait, like this, I feel comfortable here. Like this, I, I could do this. I could have conversations with people, you know? And so it wow. wasn't until I actually experienced that rotation that psychiatry even became a player in possibilities as to where I was going to land. Um, and even after that, there was a lot of fighting with it. It was like, well, I like psychiatry, but I, how am I going to tell people I'm a psychiatrist? Like, you know, how am I going to call home and disappoint my parents? Because that's what I really thought. I really thought, like, if I call home and tell them I'm going to be a psychiatrist. You're going to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> I was going to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> from neurosurgeon. And in my mind, went from neurosurgeon all the way down to psychiatry. <laughs> that's exactly how I thought about it. Uh, like, what am I... What are they going to think? Um, so yeah, so it was one of those things that this, uh, I can't say that this is what I set out to do, but it certainly was made clear that this is what I was supposed to do. There's just like no other option almost. So practical question that I'm not familiar with the process of medical school. So within medical, not all psychiatry goes through medical school. All they psychiatry do. goes through medical school. All psychiatry goes through medical mm-hmm. school. Okay. All all mental health providers don't. Yes. And so that right. includes like psychologists, therapists, counselors, right. LCSWs, right, right. like okay. the whole, yes, so all I knew, psychiatrists. Oh, okay. School. So I knew obviously it was a specific medical field. I guess I just didn't know it went through the whole mill of medical school and it was a specialty within the broad. Exactly. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is, um, it's very much like a medical specialty. Yeah. Um, and and the, the thought is that, you know, psychiatrists are first and foremost medical doctors. Yes. Um, yeah. That are just focusing on the mind, the mind to psych. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously you like, there were certain things that you had that really com- like even compelled you to get into medical school in the first place. So maybe just to kind of step back and identify those like real quick as we kind of continue on, like what were the like specific things that you were like, this is what I want, why I want to get into medical school. And then this is why it ended up in psychiatry. Does that make sense? I think so. And if I don't answer it right, then just yeah. tell me. <laughs> um, so, so maybe, okay, let me, let me ask this. Like, I, it, obviously, like, I'm seeing a train connecting. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it, you had some initial things that you kind of identified before, so I'm just trying to, like, repeat and condense. Like, there were some initial things that were passions in your life that said go into the medical field, and it actually, like, came into hyper-focus, actually, to bring you to actually where you were, even though you thought it was... Sh- supposed to Shooting lead you off. somewhere else. Right, okay. Does no, that make sense? Now I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. So um, I think that very um, superficially and somewhat naively, um, I equated going into the medical field as like the ultimate way to help people. Mm, okay, yeah. Right, like, I mean, th- yeah. that was like sort of the foundation of like going to medical school. And part of, and I say naively because, I mean, on this side of things, I'll tell you like, you don't have to go to medical school to help people. <laughs> there are a lot of other things you could do and still help people. But in my mind, that that was like, you know, sort of the ultimate way to do it. Yeah. But to be honest, you know, I finished undergrad and 
there were two years there that I didn't apply to medical school because I was really unsure. Mm. I actually was like a nanny for a couple of years. Um, and part of it was because I was starting to come to this realization that if what I'm wanting to do is help people, do I actually have to go into medicine to do that? Gotcha. Um, and so I was considering doing social work. I, you know, I'd done some projects in the school of public health. So I was considering like, maybe I should just go get my master's in public health. Mm. Um, so the decision to ultimately apply to medical school, um, I wish I could say it was because, like, you know, I identified that this was the only way that I was going to be happy or something. I think it was just, like, this was sort of the traditional path that made sense to me, and it at least encompassed all these various things that I was interested in because I was still very confused, right? Like, I was afraid if I went into social work, what if I don't really like social work? If I go into public health, what if I don't really like that? If I go into medicine, maybe at least I'll have options, of mm. the different types of things. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it wasn't so much like, you know, and I know I'm going to be a shoo-in and be a great dog. It was just kind of like, I do want to help people. I'm not sure I'm very, I'm completely clear on, on what that is. But it did that for you. But it did that for me. I mean, you, that is exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. But, but I didn't mm -hmm. set out with that. It didn't happen because I thought of, it was like, of going course, to, not. Right? <laughs> right? But I mean, who can be that it intentional never, at that point of life? Like, yeah. Like, I was just kind of. But it, it's kind of crazy that it did exactly what uh, you were hoping it would. Exactly. Just not where you thought it would. Precisely. That's, yeah. And that's, that's exactly what happened. And that's kind of cool when you think about like all the processing of like first, which we don't have to like dive into right now, but like, why do I even want to have a vocation that's like quote unquote help people mm -hmm. so that's a thing right <laughs> but like just identifying that that's what you want to do and then broadly just saying i medicine seems like a field that helps people so i don't know where i'd fit and help people in medicine but that just seems like it'll help me navigate where i want to go and then the, just the way that probably god used failures successes mm -hmm. relationships whatever Other it might people, be yeah that ended up like navigating you to where you wanted to be. That's exactly right. Or where at least I was, I feel like I was meant to be, you know, yeah. um, because I probably, not probably. I I've, think that's cool. I definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that. I just think that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I just think that's, I think that's cool. cool. Yeah. Um, I could at that time in my life and even now make a longer list of the reasons why I am not fit for medical school <laughs> than why I should be going to yeah. medical school. Right. Like I hated testing. I am not really yeah. a good student, you know, which, which yeah. it sounds opposite, but like, yeah, I hate studying. I hate reading books. I don't, you know, I'm just yeah. not all yeah, the yeah. things I'm not like super curious about. It just didn't really make sense in many ways, you know? Um, but yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. You know, I, I really do believe throughout this process, like it had to be, it had to be an ordered thing that mm. was mm -hmm. way bigger than me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, uh, Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of moving, going through motions, hoping that yeah. I didn't crash and burn somewhere. But if it can only end well, like based on how much like perfect intentionality, like Lord help us all. Right. <laughs> right. Like no. we're never going to end up where like, oh. if it, we have to be it's like that. The Plinko, is that what you call it? Plinko, uh, oh, you know, yeah. the carnival <laughs> game, you <laughs> like put right. your little puck in yes, and then I it's do. like, Oh, yeah. And then it ends up going where you want. Because it's like if we have to like perfectly be intentional to navigate our perfect future at the beginning, man, no way, right? No way. Mm. No way. No, I would have I screwed a lot of that up. <laughs> so 
Tell yeah, it, oh, go give ahead. us give us like a couple moments during the VA hospital, right? Like mm. during that rotation that kind of like resonated with you, something clicked inside you like this is what I wanted. Okay, so the first thing that was very apparent was that um, that rotation and sitting down with my patients was the first time that I was encouraged to take all the time that I needed to get all the information that I could about every part of their story that they were willing to offer. And that's not to say that other specialties didn't care, right? But, you know, when I wanted to sit down with a patient you know, on surgery or OB or a PEDS or family even, and, I'm like, I'm going into, like, their childhood, and they're like, okay, Louisa, this is great, but... This is what hurts right now, this fix way, this. Like, exactly. We, like, yeah. we have something that we... Re- yeah. There's an acute thing happening. Yeah, yeah. We need to pay attention to that. I'm so glad you've learned about all of these things, but it's not really pertinent right now, you know? But psychiatry was the first time that I sat down, and I was like, and this is what I learned, and this is whatever, and my attending, you know, my supervising doctor would be like, okay, tell me more. What else did they say? You know, and, and, and so I was encouraged to take as much time as possible with my patients to glean as much of their story as possible because every facet of their story informed what their treatment or what recommendations were going to be made. Um, so that was the first thing, right? It was like, oh, wow, I can do that. Um, and then, you know, I met one very specific patient who sort of fit the bill of the very patient that I was annoyed that I had to go see at the VA, you know, like 60-something-year-old African-American male veteran. Um, uh, Actually kind of a what we call frequent flyer, like, you know, often in the hospital, people, everyone knows you because you're often admitted, um, had a uh, opioid use disorder, so so addicted to heroin, um, often coming in withdrawals, but just like fascinating guy like mm-hmm. I mean I would I would get to my rotation early just so I can like get in his room and so we could talk for mm. you know endless amounts of time before my day was actually supposed to start um and I think he just had such an impact on me you know he was experiencing homelessness like I said he was struggling with this drug addiction but something about him just uh there was so much resilience built into what his story was, despite what it looked like on the outside. And that was just so powerful to me. And so, so knowing that here, here there was, I mean, and that's how it has been set up the whole time, right? Like here's this thing that I've set up in my mind as like being not a fit for me, not something I'm going to like, not something. Yeah. To, and it's, it's the very thing that God has used to be like, Oh no, but this is what it is. <laughs> right. You know, it's like this man who was the picture of the thing that you thought you would hate is the very thing that is drawing you and has you excited to wake up and get to your rotations, which up until that point, that had never happened on a rotation. Like I dreaded everything. I was crying every morning. It was terrible. And my husband's like, what are we doing? (laughs) This is a terrible time for all of us, you know? Um, And it was the first time I was really excited, you know? So I think those, those two things were really, really big. Yeah. I am imagining like being married to like the wandering medical student. That, oh that's, my goodness. I'm sure <laughs> Mike, Mike will give you the mic <laughs> my uh, in a little, a couple months. We'll let you. Mike has his own story of tragedy <laughs> yeah. and, and sadness and tears, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that, that's a really uh, great questioning and great story. That That's really, that is so fascinating that it's like the like, irony mm-hmm. you know in that and just like god to do yes exactly exactly so tell us uh very practically uh what is your job title where do you work and what does your kind of day-to-day look like 
So I, I'm a staff psychiatrist um, over at Lawndale Christian Health Center. Um, so we're on the west side in North Lawndale. Um, you know, day-to-day is interesting in COVID. You know, I, I started I, I started this job at Lawndale October of 2020, so in okay. COVID. <laughs> yeah. um, transitioning out of my fellowship. So I, after I finished my psychiatry residency, I did a year of specialty in reproductive psychiatry. So working with women in and around pregnancy and menopause and all sort of like the biological things that influence one's psyche. Um, And so I finished that in the fall and then started at Lawndale in October um, amidst kind of the COVID thing. So when I was coming on, you know, I'm only the second psychiatrist at Lawndale um, has hired or has had. Um, and so when I was coming on, it, it, it's all still, it was all still very brand new as to what psychiatry was going to look like at Lawndale, and, which was actually really exciting for me because there's a, kind of this, like, this blank slate and I could build this as I thought was interesting or, um, yeah. So uh, part of what I do is um, I do see patients via telehealth right now because yeah. of COVID. Yeah. Um, and so I'm doing that uh, pretty regularly. And the way it works at Lawndale, so Lawndale is uh, primarily a primary care center. So, you know, family physicians, pediatricians, you know, OBs. Um, And, you know, in order to really meet what is a huge need as far as mental health, that really requires collaboration. You know, um, it's not the sort of thing where anyone who needs mental health can just see the psychiatrist. Like, there's no way that me or my colleague could do that all right so really what ends up happening is the, the are the patients that are get filtered to us to see directly tend to be the most complex of the patients the ones that you know are really hard for a pcp or someone who doesn't have extra training to be able to manage or sort through so so of the, the patients i see face to face i see a lot of like ob patients with maybe serious mental illness or complex psychiatric concerns or questions about using or manipulating medications in pregnancy um as well as you know just other patients throughout the Lawndale community. When I started at Lawndale, so that, so that was like the main job, right? To collaborate with PCPs, which is what I do. So there's a part of what I do is seeing patients face-to-face via telehealth. So that means either over the computer, seeing their faces, or just audio, you know, over the phone. Um, and then there's a part of my job that is directly working with PCPs who actually are on the front lines with these patients. Because not every patient that maybe should see a psychiatrist is willing to see a psychiatrist. Yes, right. Right? And so yeah. it's important to be able to work with the primary care doctors whom, with whom they've built a rapport and they trust to help treat them, you know, to get their need met, even though they will never see me. So that collaboration piece is also something that I spend my week doing. Um, and then when I started at Lawndale, a need became apparent that wasn't apparent when I was like signing my contract. So when I signed my contract at Lawndale, <laughs> right, I was like, okay, I'm going to see patients. It's going to be great. I'm going to collaborate with PCPs. And then um, Wayne Detmer, actually, who also attends Calvary with his family, uh, you know, called and was like, hey, <laughs> I got, you know, there's, there's a thing, you know, we've, we, we really in need, um, we've recognized that within our population experiencing homelessness, there's a whole team, there's like a team dedicated to working in various shelters around the city of Chicago. Um, we've recognized, particularly amidst this COVID pandemic and the work that they've done in, in that population, that there's such a huge need for mm. mental health care. 
but this isn't a population that lends itself easily to telehealth, right? Or to like, you know, yes. um, yeah. one, because do you have a thing that we could do telehealth on? But two, because some of these, some of these diagnoses and pathologies just don't allow for trusting that you're talking to a computer and like we can actually get anywhere. They really do require you being in person with the person so they can sort of feel what it is. I mean, it is different being in the room with a person. And so the ask in this was, would I consider uh, doing in-person evaluations for a few of our sh shelters that we're working in? And the shelters that they identified were the shelters that they felt like were the largest need. So Pacific Garden Mission in the South Loop, Franciscan Harrison, and both of the Breakthrough Women's and Men's Centers. Um, which, you know, again, I was like, I did not sign up to... <laughs> go into homeless shelters, let alone homeless shelters in COVID, right? Like now you're talking mm. high-risk population during a high-risk time and not ex not exactly a population that I was thinking, you know, where I was. I can't give me an OB yeah. patient any day, right? Um, I don't know what to do. You know, like I'm not really sure that I'm equipped for this. Not teen I'm, pregnancy. Exactly, it's not yeah, teen pregnancy. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't know that I'm interested, you know. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, it was so interesting when I was talking to um uh, Wayne Detmer at the time, I feel like I always stutter because I call him Dr. Detmer and he wants me to call him Wayne and it's really hard for me to do that. And so usually I just call him Detmer. So I'm like, I'm just going to go with the full name. <laughs> um, and so it was interesting at the time when I was talking to him because, you know, he's asking me this and had this been a conversation maybe like a month before or before we got on the phone, I could feel, I could, I knew I'd be anxious about it. Or like, I'd be like, oh, I don't really know. How am I going to tell him? No, you know, I'm not really sure. But there was such a piece when he was asking me about it, right? And then, but then the other part of it was like, I have to go back and have this conversation with my husband too, which, which is something that I really appreciate about Lawndale. You know, all decisions that are happening, like there's a recognition that it's not just me making this decision. Mm. It's me and there's a family behind family me. Family system, yeah. Yeah, and so even when Detmer asked me, he's like, go and talk to Mike. Yeah. Let me know, right? Um, and in my head, I was already planning, you know, for those of you who know my husband, like my husband, you know, he he's not, he's very much a planner, you know, he's got a system, you know, he's not exactly like just jumping the risk side, he's like, yeah. uh, you know, like. Software engineer. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, he's, you know, give him like a step-by-step, play-by-play, yeah. so I was also expecting to go to him, and he'd be like, oh, no, 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 you're not going into a shelter, we've got these two kids, we've got this six-year-old with asthma, we've already been kind of freaked out mm. by this whole virus thing, um, and so, as you know, so I'm on the phone with Dad, and I'm like, I feel a piece about this. I know I need to talk to Mike, but I was already preparing of how I was going to tell Detmer that I can't do this, right? Like, I don't know. And, and the thing is, you do it, like, especially with Lawndale, you know, it's a Christian place, so everyone understands when you say Jesus is calling you in, like, different, <laughs> you know, like... That's Jesus, your Jesus That's your kinda, card out. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I didn't hear that, like, didn't place it on my heart, whatever. So I'm trying to, like, come up with all the words that I'm going to say. And I went to Mike, <laughs> and I said, hey, there's this ask, you know, um, Detmer's asked if I could go in the shelter, and honestly, God, to my surprise, Mike was like, okay, like, oh, is wow. that, do you, is that something, how do you feel about it? And I said, honestly, I, I have a, a piece about this. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel okay about it. And typically Mike is, Mike would <laughs> come with the, okay, so who's providing the PPE? How are you going to do this? How, what's the separation going to look like? Like, give me the blueprint. And he was just like, okay, you know, and I knew just in that exchange, again, it had to be God, like it had to be, it had to be something else because that's not what. 
that's not how it would have gone down, you know, normally. Um, so anyway, that was a very long-winded way of saying one of the things that I have started to do at Lawndale that I w- hadn't planned to do is deliver psychiatric care directly in homeless shelters, which actually, again, ironically, has come to be like the favorite part of my job, right? Wow. That is the part of my job that I probably look forward to most yeah, yeah. compared to everything else. So well, yeah, it's a little bit of all of that Monday through Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. So no two days are the same. I'm sorry. You, no two days are the same. No two you days have your really variety. are the same. No. Mm-mm. So you're moving to, to di- each different site, kind of different days of the week. So actually, what we do is I hit each site once a month. So once a week, okay. I'm at a specific site. So oh, gotcha. so the cadence with which people normally have outpatient psychiatry appointments is about once a month, once every three weeks, something like that. And so that's about the, the way I'm showing up to these shelters, right? Yeah. So every week I'm going to a different shelter. Each shelter sees me once a month. Yeah, and I would imagine you, you referred to like stigma of mental health, which obviously we've made a lot of progress, you know, whatever in the last decade on, I think the stigmas, but there are obviously still deep stigmas um, around it. And um but I would imagine like going and seeing a counselor or a therapist has a stigma, but then going to see a psychiatrist probably has an even deeper stigma, right? Oh, like 100%. you just feel like if I, I'm not, so you're saying I'm crazy, the kind of stigma, right? Right. Um, and how to like break that down. Absolutely. Know? And it's not even just what I've learned in the brief time, you know, in these past several months I've been working, it's not even just the stigma for the patients themselves who sometimes are just suffering so much that, that, it's, I don't know, I need help, right? You know, mm. and whatever that help is, I'm willing to try it. But then there's sort of the system that is a shelter that may not really um, understand what psychiatry is, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> and understand what it means to use medications in psychiatry. And so having to work within systems and be up against systems, it's... yeah special (laughs) um so yeah so the stigma isn't even just in fact i feel like particularly in that population i probably get more pushback in the system than i do with the patients like i said patients are are struggling and are like you think you can help me great let's try it let's try it like i'm on board maybe i'm a little hesitant but if you can talk to me and explain it to me and and be available and you know um yeah but the system you know i get I, i mean i've i've like prescribed a medication and then I come back on a month and like, well, I stopped it because so-and-so said I shouldn't be taking it. It's like, well, so like so-and-so who, you know, and really, so there's just, there's been a lot of learning and I think there'll continue to be like a lot of ongoing learning, but the, yeah. the stigma is real. I mean, it's better, yeah. but it, but it still exists. Um, and quite frankly, it exists in a very real way in places of faith, right? Like it's, mm. it's a hard, it's a hard kind of, it's a hard space. Where do you see, like in your week to week grind, like where are moments where you're like, I don't know if this is sustainable. Mm. Like, is this really what God's calling me to for the next 
two decades. Do you mean like boring minutia or do you mean like just grind exhaustion? Uh, yeah, I would, I would probably say grind exhaustion. I would imagine there's not a bunch of boring minutia, you know, in like what you've done. Maybe there is. And if so, that would be interesting to hear. So maybe either or, yeah. or both and. Right. Uh, I was thinking more just kind of like, you know, is this, is this like intensity sustainable and like can I even am I, like you know the kind of like Moses I'm I like <laughs> I can't speak I can't do that like you know do you feel that like in your or it could be even like man some of this is just monotonous I can't I don't want to do this you know either way right um that's funny because <laughs> you can ask my husband how often I've been like I'm ready to retire <laughs> 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 and yeah. I love my job right yeah. um but it's hard it's it's hard and and most days, I'm not sure how sustainable it is, mm. right? Like, I, like I feel like I, I'm still in this place where I, I'm just I'm moving with it, and, mm. um, you know, the decision to even come to Lawndale was one that we mm. like prayed over. I mean, almost about a yeah. year, yeah, you know, about a year and a half even. I remember. Like, I don't know where you guys were going, but I remember you and Christine yeah. were driving somewhere. I was driving her back. home from something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think she, I think she was downtown because I was out. She was like just kind of yeah. telling me you guys are wrestling with all that. Yeah, I mean it was, um, it was a huge sacrifice it, in the most practical ways. Like it was a huge sacrifice financially, even right. Um, I have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt mm. for like just student loans for med- medical, medical training school, alone, yeah. um, and you know working at Lawndale is kind of like working on a mission field, right? Mm. Like you're not, I'm not, I, I could certainly make more money elsewhere. Um, and mm. so, so there was a huge sacrifice that went into that. And when we entered that knowing that, and we were like, okay, we've prayed mm. about this, this is what we're doing. And then there is the just day-to-day heaviness mm. of what I'm doing. Cause you have to, the other thing too is like, I'm not working, I'm not working with what we often call like kind of the worried well and what I mean by that is like well-supported, you know, good yeah, network, good networks, having yeah. difficult s- situations that in no way should be minimized, you know, dealing with, you know, like real anxiety and depression. But there's more than just me yeah. in their lives hmm. to be supportive. They've they got, they found the support. They have found the support. They yeah. have the support. They're not someone right. who doesn't even know where the support is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Be it financial support, whatever, it relationship, like, whatever. Yeah. The people I'm working with, like, it, some days I, I, I'm not sure mm. how much change or difference I can make. And that's, and that's like the honest truth. And, and so working with some of the, um, working with some of these most difficult cases, be it trauma or substance use or you know, repeated incarcerations or whatever it is, you know, uh, homelessness. Um, it's heavy. It's heavy. And I often am not sure how long I'm going to last, right? Like there's, they're really, it's one of those things. Like I tend to be one of those people like, oh, I, I'd like to know I'm going to do this for five years and I'm going to, I don't know. Some days I'm like, am I going to make it to the, to the end of my first year? <laughs> it's like Wednesday. Will I make it to exactly. Friday? Am I make it to Friday? You know, <laughs> yesterday, I remember, was just one of those days. Mm. Um, mm. And I, I had someone, uh, a trainee, a social worker trainee, shadowing me. And she's like, wow, that was a lot. And that was, that was only like two of my, whatever, eight or ten patients that I was going to see that day. And so 
so anyway, I, I think the question was about just sustainability. And the truth is, I don't know. I, I honestly don't yeah. know. I think every day it's another measure of grace and another measure of of sort of strength to to do it. And I pray that I'm able to continue to do it. Um, and I pray that I may continue to do it as long as God wants me to, right? Because mm-hmm. I also recognize that I can get tired along the way too. It's not like I get super energy, <laughs> right? Like I can get tired along the way too. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what that means. Um, if... Um like if you can imagine like Jesus watching you do your day-to-day job, like on your drive home, like what do you, what do you imagine him saying to you? <laughs> um, it'd be somewhere between stop panicking, right? <laughs> um, and like this isn't on you. I think I think that, and and maybe I, I'm saying what I want him to say to me or like the thing that I'm needing him to say, right? Uh, Because I do truly feel like this path to get here has been so twisted. There have been so many things, you know, between, I was telling Caroline earlier, right? Between having my daughter unexpectedly, my second year of medical school, to, you know, um, having multiple difficulties with passing my board exams to getting diagnosed with breast cancer six months into residency. Like there's just been so many things that. Yeah. That small detail. (laughs) Yeah. Right. right. That thing, that thing that, that you know, that should have really completely thrown, like set this path somewhere else. And it didn't. Right. And I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I've always wished to be one of those people, those believers who like just felt the spirit and just felt so called and always knew God was with you, but that's not how I am. And it's like, it's almost as if, not almost as if, it's clearly that God knows that about me and so has made this path so clearly a mess that it's like the only way that this is possible if mm-hmm. that there is a spirit and there is a God that is guiding this. There is, a, there is something that has put me here because left to what life is doing alone, I should be in 20 other directions. Um, I forgot what I was answering. Well, I'll just say however, whatever I asked and however you answered made me think of something. (laughs) But um, I really resonate with that because (laughs) like this idea that like, I, you know, like you're saying like, I don't feel like I'm like the kind of like overly spiritual person. I just kind of do the practical thing from day to day. And yet I found myself in this like deeply like frontline spiritual work. Right. Um, Cause a lot of people would probably look at you, you and be like, Oh, well, you know, I'm crunching numbers and you're like saving lives. Like you're doing something more important and it's kind of, e- you know, maybe easy to like kind of see what you're doing and find like this kind of like spirit empowered missional work. Um, what I was connected with was, like, I've, like, as you said that, I'm like, I think that's why I'm, like, in church work. Because I'm like, it was the only way to keep me a Christian. <laughs> you know, because no, I'm like, I just, like, I'm, I don't, like, all my, like, yeah, I don't feel like, I feel like I needed the ministry more than the ministry. You know, it's so funny that you say that because when I often oh. think about people be like, oh, why did you go to Lawndale? And I was like, like I don't think I could do this yeah. if I wasn't at Lawndale, yeah. you know, in in a in a place that reminded me that 
Christ is at the center. Yeah. That this isn't my work where I could stop and pray where like, I don't, I don't think I'm just, I'm not there, you know, maybe I'll be there one day. I'm just, I'm just not there. Yeah. (laughs) And I really resonate with that because it's like you're forced, like I could have been just happy going down the lawyer path and just doing that. And, And like, even today I've like my, like, interests are so entrepreneurial it's like i could you know go and start try to start this business tomorrow and enjoy it and it's like like guys like no you'll you'll like you'll lose your faith if you if you do that like i'm gonna put you in this church world so you like i can keep you near to me yeah and it's like it's almost like i have to have like the demand of like vocational bible person to keep me in the bible right like <laughs> no, i have to get up so and teach true. i have to get up and so it's like otherwise i'd probably just kind of fritter my life away and it's so um, true it's so i really so resonate true. with that and i mean and if you look um go to a christian medical conference right and i mean actually i've never been to a christian medical conference <laughs> but <laughs> but i imagine yeah i imagine someone someone correct this you know whoever's listening yeah. if i'm wrong but go to a christian medical conference you know, and actually, no, I think Detmer and I have had this conversation, you know, you ask how many pediatricians are in the room, right? And like a third of the room stands up or raises their hand. Family docs, you know, OBs, you know, it starts kind of doing like surgeons, whatever. How many psychiatrists mm. are in the room? And you've got like that one person maybe in the corner, yeah, you know, yeah. who's standing up. Psychiatry is not a field mm. that lends yeah. itself easily yeah, right. to like Christ and faith and where you're at and, you know, where your beliefs yeah, are. It's not... True. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it really can only be God, right. That, that, yeah. that has me here. Um, not only in a field that I could easily go astray, but in a field that I could easily go astray in the, yeah. in the work that I'm doing that keeps me, keeps me centered. Um, yeah. I'm deeply resonating with that idea of like, you clearly are n- quote, needed in all these mm. different areas. And yet you're, um, as you're speaking, you're being reminded that you yourself is not the answer to the problem or you're wanting at least Jesus to continually remind you of that. Um, and yeah, I, I think what's encouraging as I think like big picture of this idea of like the spirit empowered work is that it isn't our work in the world and it's not a void if we have to rest, you know, and that's good news. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not, uh, it's like relieving almost. And so then what we do decide to take up is like accepting an invitation that was not ours extending to ourselves. (laughs) It was like, um, the, the Lord's invitation that we accept and we get to delight in joining in his work that's moving on beyond us. That's so encouraging to hear that. And and needing like that constant reminder, right? Like day in and day out, I need that reminder Um, Hmm. because it so easily starts to feel like I need to fix this. Hmm. This isn't working. You know, I, I can't, I don't have the answer and I should have the answer. You know, I wish I could say I ended work and th- there are nights that I'm up thinking about my patients or thinking about a situation or I can't sleep because I'm so anxious about whatever it is. Um, and it's like, I, I need that reminder. And that's why I think when, when I don't remember who asked me, but about like, you know, what would, 
what would Jesus say to me? Like, I need him to keep reminding me, like, this isn't, this isn't you, right? Like, this is not, this is not on you to figure out. It's just on you to be present, like just Mm. to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that has also been very real. I mean, certainly, certainly I've seen how God has moved through my work as a psychiatrist in my Monday through Friday, but my work as a psychiatrist exists all the time yeah. in my personal spaces too. And, and, and Nadia, and I don't even say that as a burden, but as a, like, God reminds me, even outside of the thing that I'm getting paid for, that I went to medical school and I've had my experiences so that I can be present with other people, you know, in a capacity that only I can be because mm-hmm. for whatever reason in that moment in time, I'm the only one equipped to be present with them yes um and I think that has been a really really powerful reminder that my vocation doesn't actually even though my clock stops you know Friday five o'clock or whatever it is my vocation keeps going Mm. right like I am I move as through as a psychiatrist in and out Sunday morning you know Saturday whenever um and I I love that about my work like I love that I'm able to connect with Calvary people you know um who either are having a hard time or having a hard time dealing with someone who's having a hard time and that I, that I can be that for them. And I think that it has been just as much a part of my calling to this work that again, I, I didn't anticipate as has been the thing that I'm supposed to be getting paid for. Right. Um, and so I, I can appreciate that, but at the same time, always having to remind myself that, that it's not my burden to, to carry and, and, mm-hmm sort through but yeah. really just to be present yeah one question i have uh louisa is it's kind of broader it's not necessarily like how you feel like personally you're being used by god in the world but broader like what does as you think about psychiatry what does psychiatry have to offer the world um and how can psychiatry be a part of what God is doing in the world to heal and restore. Mm. I feel like that question needs like music. It needs like a dramatic like <laughs> I can we can add that in. <laughs> I think maybe ironically it's easier for me to answer the piece about how do I feel like psych- God is using psychiatry in the world. Yeah. Maybe that's just because that's where I feel like I'm most connected with. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for a long time, a long time, I mean, I don't know, I've only been alive 34 years, but, but in the time certainly that I've been alive and from what I've understood and even just from conversations of people who are older than me or family, um, the idea of, of like struggling with mental health Mm -hmm. um, or mental health concerns particularly within like the Christian context has been a really conflicted one. Um, And I think it has been one that has unnecessarily carried like a lot of shame and just a lot of burden for, you know, I'm, I'm not a good enough believer. Hmm. Um, I'm not a good enough prayer, you know, um, I've done something that has taken away God's favor. It, it's created like a loneliness, um, even within like a church family and church body, 
of people who are struggling because of just fear to be able to say that I am struggling and what that may say about me. And I think in the same way that God has blessed wonderful minds with cures for various ailments from like ways to treat diabetes and cancer and things that God has done the same thing with psychiatry, right? Um, ways to identify and diagnose when a problem is there and, and tools to be able to address that, not apart from him, mm -hmm. um, but to be able to use those tools, like been, almost been gifted with those tools to be able to do that. And I feel like... Like that knowledge is his too. It's his too. I mean, it was his first, really. Yes. Right? Yeah. It was his first. That's I mean, true. The kinda... point of reference <laughs> I just said was off. <laughs> yeah. like, he, like he had it first and... and thought it important enough to share with us that when someone is dealing with a, you know, psychotic experience that, you know, they can take this agent and be helped a little bit. They can sit down and have a conversation with someone and, um, and be helped. And so my feeling is that, uh, or at least maybe it's easier for me to personalize it. I feel like at least my role in this and the way that God has ordained me into this path that almost seems at many times in conflict with like the traditional view of how things should go, you know, um, is a way of sort of like bringing us back together. Like it's just, a, it's another way of like healing our family, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I, I do feel in many ways that our Christian family is just so broken. Like we're, we're hurting in so many ways in all of our different silos and we don't, we're too afraid or too ashamed to really be able to, to talk about it. And so I think that psychiatry is a space that we're learning to become a little bit more comfortable with. Mm. You know, my hope is that at least my role in that is to be able to be a psychiatrist who can also be Christ affirming and, and believing in God and uh, aware of the enemy and his work in our lives and, and really the role that he plays in all ailments, right? Like, wow, what a complex, just like mobile of factors you're yeah. thinking about as you like sit across from someone. <laughs> yeah. I mean like all, because they all are at play, like someone, like I've been asked, you know, um, like what kind of where does God fit or what is, where does, where does even maybe more so like where does the devil fit in some of these sorts of ailments? I was like in the same place that the devil fits in like, you know, the fact that we have to deal with cancer and pneumonia and all these other things, right? Like, I mean, there's a mm -hmm. spiritual element to all of it, yeah. but God also gifted us with a certain knowledge to be able to help ourselves a little bit too, you know, or help each other. And so I do hope that by being able to be a psychiatrist who is, you know, Christ professing that I can be part of what that, healing can be a little bit in our yes. family, you know, even if it's just like, you know, one center point where we can all kind of say, it's okay. It's okay to have these, to have these struggles. It's okay to get help from them. And it doesn't take mm -hmm. away from who you are as a Christian. In fact, yes. it probably, it probably speaks more to who you are as just like a burdened, yes. you know. And what you're and bringing as a, a Christian like psychiatrist is also the salve for the spiritual wounds that they bring you to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the recognition again, that it, it, at the end, ultimately this is going to point back to God, right? Yeah. Like I do believe that, you know, when I'm able to say something great has happened with my patient or we've had this great outcome with a personal friend that it just sort of adds to this like 
you know, I, I don't really keep journals or lists of things, but this testimony of what, how God is moving. So, so I think that's certainly how God is using psychiatry. I think he's using psychiatry very much to heal the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think many of us are more familiar with it, mm -hmm. even if not in so much the big terms, but yeah. more familiar with it just mm -hmm. generally, um, then we either let on to ourselves or let on to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and broadly in psychiatry, I think it's the same thing too. I think it's the same thing. And it's hard for me to separate the two, right? Because I think broadly is, you know, the guy right. piece, It's right? like the macro and macros. Exactly. Simultaneous. Um, but I, I, I truly believe that when psychiatry is practiced um, well, and correctly, because as with anything, anything can be abused and misused and misdone or overdone or whatever. Um, but when it is practiced with intention um, and in the spirit of being able to meet people where they are and to be helpful, I believe that it can be extremely healing. And not just because I gave you some prescription, but because I could be present with you and honored and acknowledged and respected the fact that the whole person is in front of me that is having a difficult time, not defined by that difficult time, but that there is this thing that needs to be addressed, you know, for them to be able to function better, you know? Um, so I do think it, I think, I mean, I'm biased, of course, but I think it's one of the most, like, it lends itself to one of, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The most um, deep-seated healing, right? Mm, yes. Um, all the way down. All the way down, because I think it runs so closely with, like, just our spiritual, you know, our emotional pain runs so closely with like our spiritual turmoil. Um, yes. So yeah, so I think it it, can, it has the power to be a vessel of like great healing. I think yeah. for the world, um, for our Christian community and outside of our Christian community, of course, um, when it's done. Mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the big disclaimer when it's yes. done correctly <laughs> which is not an easy yeah feat right and it's not always guaranteed but yeah. I guess that's that's with everything right um, yes yes it's not always guaranteed I have one last question it's more on the micro front mm -hmm. um and it's specific to you but um how do you feel like the Lord is making himself known to you specifically in your Monday to Friday work life and it can be like you know yesterday in your hard day yeah. <laughs> or however you want to put it yeah um you know I and, I and I've told a number of my colleagues this before that I my my patients come to me because they're coming for help and relief and whatever an answer solution or something but I gain so much from working with my patients and sitting and listening to their stories and like uh, sort of um, just having the opportunity to like walk with them and what their story is and also just being so inspired by their resilience and how God does move in their life, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they acknowledge it as God moving in their life or not. <laughs> but you can see it from far. But, like my looking into it and listening to it and I'm just like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, like I in that way more than so I so I guess I see it in my work um it comes it, it comes towards me versus like what I'm doing that I feel like mm -hmm. I see or I see how God's working like I, I feel like I'm fed by that I'm fed by 
sitting down and, and talking with people and listening to their stories and being in shelters and, you know, dealing with their difficulties and understanding what their childhood was and what the trauma was and the fact that they're still standing in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I see God the most. Like, it's not really, and I mean, like, people look in and see me and they're like, oh, you know, look at how God is moving through you and look at whatever and how you can, like, I don't, I feel like I don't really connect with that as much, right? Like for me, it's like, I don't know, I'm just doing this thing that, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing as best as I can. Half the time, I'm not really sure if it's going to turn out right or, you know, and by the grace of God, sometimes it does. But where I see God is actually in the people who are in front of me, not because of what I'm doing, but because what God has already done to get them there, right? Yeah, you're a collector of, of graces yeah. throughout all these people's stories that yeah, are told so to like, you. It's, it's really weird because the very thing that is can be very difficult and burdensome and make it feel like, I don't know how I'm going to do this again tomorrow, mm-hmm. is the very thing that kind of also gives me life. Know, yeah, it gives me life. Right, that's exactly right. Like, and and it, and it's weird because it, it does both things at the same time. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm both exhausted by it and yes. also just so inspired by it. Um, that makes me feel like okay, like if you could do that, you know, I can certainly go and see the next patient and yes. do this all over again. Oh, that's stunning. <laughs> it's yeah. stunning to think about. Um, and I'm just thinking how many people you see in a given day, and then like multiply that by weeks and and yeah it's it's a lot yes. <laughs> it's a lot and you know sometimes it's in my patients sometimes it's in um parents or family members that are trying to care for my patients you know I mean I don't know I just God moves in ways that's just like oh wow and and and, and again always despite me it's actually really really difficult not difficult it's much harder for me to identify with like I'm do like I am the giver of like you know whatever the, the life force or like you yes know, the, the, like the that narrative of like you are the the savior in the situation exactly like it's it's a, it's a hard thing for me to identify with yeah. um in fact I often feel like I'm taking so much from a situation and being built up by so much I'm like I don't know what I left you <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> what I left you with here right which certainly that's not the experience what my patients have or people around me have but that's that's how it plays out in yeah. my head more often than not um, as we close here, would you be open to, may I pray for you and just pray for like, even tomorrow is Thursday. Nope. Tomorrow's Wednesday. <laughs> but just tomorrow you wake up and you do it all over again. So could I just pray kind of just for just thanking God for this opportunity that you are stepping into to not only like show him to others, but also like a position where you're uniquely able to see his involvement through everybody around you who like it's they're supposed to sit and tell you about (laughs) it like that's so cool absolutely awesome thank you oh lord you are the keeper of stories and how just like you (laughs) to bring louisa to this position um after two kids and one on the way and a battle with cancer and so much um, uncertainty during medical school and, you know, question and doubt on what you have for her. And right now in this season, you have her at Lontail hearing stories of your grace. And we just thank you for who she is, how you guided her path and who you place in front of her every day. 
Um, and just, Lord, thank you for space and time to imagine how you interweave all of your stories and all of your grace throughout the Chicagoland area and beyond that we can't even zoom out and think about right now. <laughs> um, Lord, we just ask for continued strength for her, for energy and peace um, for every day. Lord, I ask that you will um, speak to her as she drives home every evening um, that the battle is not hers and that um, that you will continue to give her rest for her soul and an invigorated spirit in the morning. Lord, we just pray for this upcoming little one joining their family and that um, Mike and Louisa will have a good transition to a family of five. Thanks so much that they are part of the Calvary family and we just praise you for what you're doing at Lawndale and in their lives. In your name we pray.